Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, November 17th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, David Neal Cox is set to be executed in less than 10 hours. And court documents lay out troubling allegations of discrimination at the Tupelo Police Department. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. This evening, Mississippi will conduct an execution for the first time since 2012. David Neal Cox is set to die by lethal injection at 6 p.m. Cox pleaded guilty to killing his wife in 2012. Gulf States newsroom criminal justice reporter Brittany Brown will be covering the execution tonight and is here to talk with us about what's happening. Hi, Brittany. Hi, Karen. What do we know about David Neal Cox, this man who is scheduled to be executed, and his case? And we'll warn people that this is a pretty gruesome story. David Cox was married to his wife, Kim, and they had two children together. And Cox had one stepdaughter with Kim. In 2009, Cox and his wife separated after he went to jail for allegedly raping his stepdaughter. But while he was in jail, he blamed his wife for his incarceration and told lots of people while he was in jail that he was actually planning to kill her once he got out of jail. And when he got out of jail in 2010, just one month after he was released, he broke into the home where his wife, children and stepdaughter were living. He held his wife and his stepdaughter hostage overnight. And during that hostage situation, Cox shot his wife multiple times and raped his stepdaughter multiple times while her mother watched. And by the time law enforcement were able to enter the home hours later, Kim had already died from her wounds and his stepdaughter was removed from the home. So Cox pleaded guilty to eight different charges, including capital murder, burglary, sexual assault and kidnapping. And he was sentenced to death in 2012. That is some story. 
There are dozens of people on death row in Mississippi. Why is Cox the first to be executed in nine years? This situation is really unique to Cox because he actually chose to waive his appeals. Essentially, Cox has been begging the state to execute him for the past three years. He's been going back and forth with the Mississippi Supreme Court and his former attorneys with the Mississippi Office of Capital Post-Conviction Counsel since 2018, essentially trying to expedite his own execution. In 2018, he actually wrote his first letter to the court asking the state to waive all appeals. And he said in the letter that he was worthy of death. His former attorneys filed a motion to dismiss his letters and Cox then filed another motion to discontinue working with his attorneys. This went on until the state granted Cox a competency hearing, which was conducted in February of this year. He was found to be of sound mind, and in October, the Supreme Court granted Cox his wish and set his execution date for November 17th. It's my understanding that another issue that's holding up executions across the country is a shortage of lethal injection drugs. Do we know how Mississippi secured the drugs for this execution? I haven't been able to get a clear answer to that. Burl Kane, the commissioner of the Mississippi Department of Corrections, has not said anything specific about the drugs or about how the state obtained them for Cox's execution. But it came out earlier this year during the summer that the state did acquire drugs to be used in lethal injection executions. Robert Dunham is the executive director of the Death Penalty Information Center. And he told me that the big issue here is that drug companies don't want their medicines associated with executions. Every FDA-regulated pharmaceutical manufacturer in the United States has adopted uh, policies on the distribution of their medicines that say uh, we will not sell our medicines to departments of corrections anywhere in the country uh, for use in executions. So for the states that are carrying out executions, Dunham says they're obtaining drugs in elusive ways. And it's really the wild, wild west out here in terms of the different protocols the states have for acquiring drugs for executions. So this will be the first execution in Mississippi since 2012. Will anything change after this? Can we expect to see more executions in the state? My understanding is that the 37 other people on death row are still trying to appeal. This is a unique situation because Cox fired his attorneys and waived his appeals. So just because Cox is being executed, it doesn't necessarily mean that executions will quote unquote restart in the state after nine years because it's a case by case, person by person type of situation for people on death row. Also, the state is facing a lawsuit arguing that the lethal injection protocol is inhumane. That's been going on since 2015. So right now, no other execution dates are set for the others on death row in Mississippi. And with the legal challenges and difficulty of obtaining drugs, that will probably be the case for a while. What else is happening with executions in the region? For our neighboring Gulf states, it's a pretty different situation. Louisiana has said they're not doing executions because of drug shortages. And in 2014, Louisiana was under fire because the State Department of Corrections had obtained drugs from a local hospital without disclosing that the drug would be used in an execution. So Louisiana hasn't executed anyone since 2010. In Alabama, the state has been executing people regularly over the past decade. They've actually executed 24 people since 2010. So once again, there have been concerns about how the drugs are acquired and how effective they are. In Alabama, there are 168 people on death row, 63 people on death row in Louisiana, and 38 people on death row in Mississippi, including Cox.
Gulf States Newsroom criminal justice reporter, Brittany Brown. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Coming up, activists rally against the death penalty in Jackson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Advocates for the elimination of the death penalty gathered in Jackson yesterday to protest the impending execution of David Neal Cox. Leah Campbell, who leads a nonprofit called the Mississippi Rising Coalition, was one of a number of activists to address ralliers gathered on the lawn of the state capitol. On one hand, the death penalty gives the state the right to kill with premeditation and ceremony, while on the other hand, the state tells its citizens that killing other human beings is amoral and unlawful. Executing human beings sets the worst possible example to our society that violence and killing is the way to solve social problems. It is not. A society that respects life does not deliberately and ceremoniously kill human beings. The death penalty is a racist and classist practice that overwhelmingly kills poor people and people of color. The death penalty is the racist legacy of the institution of slavery and Southern former Confederate states impose the death penalty most often. MPB reporter Kobe Vance was at the rally. He spoke with Abraham Bonowitz, who's executive director of an advocacy group called Death Penalty Action. Our, our work today is in lifting up Mississippians' voices who oppose the death penalty. So that's why you have the Catholic bishop uh, um, uh, spokesperson here. It's why you have the United Methodist spokesperson here. There's others who could not make it on this short notice. That's what we do is we lift up the voices of people opposed to the death penalty across the country. What is what's happening here in Mississippi uh, tomorrow, potentially, mean in the broader sense of the United States? Like, what are other states going to be looking at Mississippi for from this, uh, from this action? Well, what I see is the last throes of the death penalty in this country. We, we have, uh, we're going to see a few more executions, a little spike in executions in states like Mississippi, which haven't had executions in a while. Uh, and people are going to recognize that, wait, we're no safer now than we were um, when we didn't have executions for 10 years. Nothing has changed in that regard. But more important, we're wasting resources. It's a, as a public policy, the death penalty fails us. And part of what we get to show people and what people get to see is there's no shift in violent crime and we no shift in how safe we are because we've had one execution or a dozen. What does an execution say to people that are victims of the crime as well as the members of the family of the one who committed the crime? Well, what's happened is the state has said, wait until we kill the guy and then you can begin to heal. And the truth is that there's always going to be an empty chair at the table. There's no bringing our loved ones back. And I say our loved ones because several of us here are murder victim family members. So we oppose the death penalty, uh, but we recognize that what it does is it actually puts a healing process on hold. 
And if you are a murder victim family member, our hearts go out to you. We, we see ourselves as actually as victim advocates. We want better services for all victims, and we think they should be taking the money that they're wasting on the death penalty and doing better for all victims. And what we are saying is if the death penalty is a commodity for victim families, if the governor politicians say this is for the victim families, then they have to answer the question, what are you doing for the rest for the 99% of victim families where the death penalty isn't happening. What's the answer? What do you think is going to have to change in conservative states like Mississippi to be able to outlaw the death penalty? Well, uh, it, you know, people who can, can, are concerned about government, who don't trust the government, who are, recognize that they don't they believe they aren't taxed fairly, uh, should also recognize that the death penalty is just another failed government pro- program. And we can't trust, if you can't trust government for these other things, how do you trust it to execute somebody? Um, so there's that. And there's also the question of, you know, if we are truly pro-life, then all life is precious. And it's up to God to take the lives and, do, and deal with people once they're, once they're past this life, right? So all we can do is make sure that we're safe from these people that might hurt others. And that's what we do the vast majority of time. We're saying we should do it all the time. Abraham Bonowitz is executive director of Death Penalty Action. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, Tupelo's police department is at a crossroads. We talk with a reporter who's been following new developments. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Tupelo has recently settled a series of lawsuits alleging harassment and discrimination within the city's police department. One of several plaintiffs was former policewoman Tiffany Gillian, who claimed she was repeatedly passed over for promotion within the department because of her gender and the fact that she is black. We're joined by Taylor Vance. He's a reporter with the Tupelo-based Daily Journal. Tiffany was on the patrol division within the department, I believe, She filed one lawsuit claiming that she was passed over for promotion and that because she was a black woman, essentially, she was not given a fair a fair chance or a fair opportunity for uh, promotion. Then that settled out of court and she was she, she was granted a promotion. And so then I believe she applied for for an open lieutenant position on the patrol division and she did not get that. And it was during that that open lieutenant position where Michael Russell was then transferred from his position as the director of the Police Athletics League. And he was transferred to that lieutenant patrol position. And that is where Tiffany filed a lawsuit alleging that Mr. Russell's lateral transfer was used to block her own promotion. Did Mr. Russell apply for that position that she was no, up he for? Did not. No, he did not. He was just transferred. Correct. And he, uh, according to, you know, court documents, the lawsuits, uh, you know, the depositions, he did not ask for that transfer and he did not want that transfer. I want to address your story of this week. It starts with some real fireworks. 
Captain Tim Bell, who's the commander mm-hmm. of the patrol division, he was the one that was trying to keep Tiffany Gillian out of that position. And that Lynette Sandlin said in disposition that Bell said, I'll buy you all a steak dinner if you'll get that bitch gone. Yes. That's explosive. And you say this has been going on for several years, these kind of accusations of sexism, racism. Yes. What's going on? Why has nothing changed? And it seems to be getting worse based on what you're writing in your story. You know, I, I don't really know if I can answer. I mean, I mean, what's going on? You know, going back, none of this has really made it to, to an open trial where, you know, the general public can, you know, ha- has a chance to look and see what is going on and has a chance to evaluate what what witnesses say. And so there's that component. But yes, you know, I, I, I don't really want to be unfair to the police department, but if you look, I mean, you don't have these same types of lawsuits going on with, you know, the fire department here in Tupelo. You don't have this going on with the public works department. And there has been a consistent theme of lawsuits repeatedly have been filed against the police department, alleging that this culture exists there. Here's this culture. Here's this situation that seems well, pretty toxic. And Mm -hmm. a new police chief will be named by the end of the year. The mayor, Todd Jordan, will have to name a new police chief. Why? Yeah. Todd Jordan took office July 1st. And uh, the former police chief, Bart Gary, retired effective June 31st. And so he appointed an interim police chief, Jackie Clayton. But he has said that he wants to retire by the end of the year. And so that leaves Mayor Jordan with one of two options, and that is either appoint uh, a new chief by the end of the year or appoint another interim chief by the end of the year. Has the mayor, and he is a new mayor, has he indicated his position to, to take any kind of control in this situation prior to naming a new police chief? I don't know really about prior from from my interviews with the mayor. I think his biggest concern and and his biggest solution is making sure that the right candidate or or the right chief is chosen and appointed for the job. And and I think he he thinks that if once you have the right police chief, he or she should, should be able to implement policies that could resolve some of this. How many candidates are there for chief of police? I believe 26 or 28 candidates that applied for the police chief position uh, under two, the city of Tupelo's form of government. The mayor appoints department heads and the city council either can, votes to confirm or reject um, one of the mayor's appointees. And so the, the mayor tried to do a little bit of a, a different route with, with, with this police chief. He created a, a police chief search committee of just six citizens in the community um, to help him interview and select the next police chief. And this search committee narrowed um, the applicants down to eight people who should receive an in-person, you know, a formal in-person interview. And so, yes, it, it's now down to eight, eight people. One of those eight is Tim Bell, who, as we heard earlier, is accused of uh, trying to keep Tiffany Gillian from getting a promotion into a new position. So he's accused of sexism and racism. Are there other officers within the department who are among those eight finalists? Yes, um, there is uh, another officer 
uh, uh, among the eight. That's um, Captain Chuck McDougald. I can't really say just a whole lot about you know Cap- Captain McDougald, but I-, I can say he is not someone that really comes up in these court documents and these de- depositions. He is not someone that former officers ha- have accused of you know racism, mm-hmm. sexism, or, or, or anything along those lines. Taylor Vance is the political and government reporter. You can read the story. It was published November 14th in the Daily Journal. And Taylor, I thank you so much for being with us. Glad to be here and thank you for your interest. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.